Hello everybody, I'm Quay Brees, and it's showtime again in Berks County, beautiful Berks County, southeast Pennsylvania and Delaware Valley. Here on this beautiful global warming Saturday morning, right here again at AM Radio WFYL, uh, 1180 WFYL. We appreciate you being here with us. Uh, you've been with us every Saturday morning routinely because you like to check in on our expert opining of the issues of the day. And, and you do realize that we do bring the truth at you so quickly at the speed of sound. It almost seems like it's going at the speed of sound. That's because it is. But thank you so much for being with us for the last five years as we uh, we bring you the issues that you really, and the topics and perspectives that you just don't get everywhere else. So we thank you for being with us today. We're going to talk a little bit about this upside down world we live in and kind of some of the stuff we're dealing with right now and and uh, and whatnot. And and we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, the legalizing drug routine, legalizing crime and increasing crime and legalizing crime democrats and what it is that what it is about government that they want why do why do democrats why do these activists want to uh to be in charge and we're going to talk about that and and some other stuff on the trump polling and some stuff that comes out on the on the trump polling and and of course what's going on in the middle east we'll talk a little bit about that and so much more but we're going to jump right into it Let's start out by chatting a little bit and, and opening up the concept of why do Democrats, why do these activists, why do they want to run for public office? What is their direct interest? Now, first off, let's take a look at who these activists are, okay? So these Democrats, oftentimes, these activists, uh, they're, they're people that have achieved nothing in life. They've, they've accomplished nothing. They have no initiative, no drive, no no professional uh, perseverance, if you will, or or any kind of persistence, if you will, professional persistence to to achieve and to learn and to to for development and, and improving their their know-how, if you will, to move up in companies. They really don't have a drive for it. Most of these people are malcontents. They're usually angry at people that are smarter than they are or better than they are. Instead of trying to figure out their niche in life, they they instead uh, hate those that have achieved. And it's an it's an interesting fact. I remember listening to. Uh, Michael Moore, as he explained to Donald Trump back in 1998 on, on Roseanne Barr's show, he explained as Donald Trump was there and Roseanne Barr was interviewing Donald Trump and, and of course, she's interviewing Michael Moore. And Michael Moore said to Trump, rich people don't have any idea what people like me go through. He says, Michael Moore, at the time he's in his mid-40s, said, I've been on three unemployment lines, three unemployment lines. Folks, I, I can tell you right now, I'm 61. I've never been on an unemployment line. So I don't understand what it's like to be on one, let alone three. The type of people that are on unemployment lines are the people that we see uh, that get hired and routinely fired or removed from companies because they don't they don't figure out what's important to their boss. They don't try to learn what's important to their boss. They don't They don't try to do better at their job. They don't they don't try to learn about what the, what their company wants. They don't try to learn how to better pursue their happiness. I should say, better pursue the goals of the company. What's interesting is goals goals are what they have to do. They have to achieve, and the objectives are what they need to do to get the goals. So most people they get hired in these jobs, and they in a, in a job, if you will, a job where they need to perform, a job where they need to produce, and what they're given is they're given goals, and then they're told, okay, we need this done. And we need these objectives achieved to to get there. 
and they just miss on that. So oftentimes they miss it because they they you know they they're they're too busy trying to figure out why they have the unfair goals or whatever or the unfair objectives or whatever it is. They're trying to figure out what it is that's unfair in the workplace while instead of other people who are trying to figure out how to get the objectives done so they can achieve the goals that the boss wants them to achieve. So these people end up not achieving. They don't pass the 90-day review period, so the 90-day probationary periods, and they end up losing their jobs. They don't get they don't establish themselves in companies. They don't they don't create the know-how and professional development within the company by affecting their talents and skills within the company. So they never progress. So they go from job to job to job. And it's interesting. I mean, um, again, I've had about five jobs in my life. Okay. And, and I can tell you, uh, you know, I mean, I've been working now for, for 40 years, over 40 years, and I've had only five companies that I've worked for. And of which, uh, one of those, I mean, it's just, it, to me, it's just, an, it's an amazing thing. So this is a this is not the norm in today's world. I mean, most people go through five jobs in in a three year period day. Okay, they just can't find anything that they want to do. Every six months or eight months, they moved on to something else. They don't understand why companies don't keep them on board. So it, it comes down to their lack of performance. I mean, I used to know a fellow who he was fifty plus years old at the time. This is going back a few years, and he was complaining because he was making ten dollars an hour. And I'll remember the, the individual talking to me and tell, you know, and of course I'm asking this person questions about his job and, you know, about what he, what's important to him. What does he try to, what, what is it he has to get done on his job and what is the task? What, what are the, what are the goals that his company gives him every day? Or, you know, what is his task? Okay. And of course he's complaining about what he has to do. He's complaining about where he works. He complains about his boss. He complains about his coworkers, complains about his hours, complains about everything. And he's complaining, and he's complaining to me because he's only making ten dollars an hour. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, there's a reason that you you've achieved nothing in your 35 years in your workplace. I mean, in 35 years, this individual's never gotten to a point where he can make more than ten bucks an hour. That was a few years ago, so probably equivalent of minimum wage today. So these people, they 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 go from unemployment line to unemployment line. And then they, uh, you know, they, they can't get anywhere. They turn into about 30 or 40 year old people. And then they say, well, let me run for office and I'll, I'll become a policymaker in public policy. And I, and, and I will punish those who, who have held me back. So what happens is a lot of these people become policymakers. They get elected to different jobs, uh, different positions in Congress. Uh, you know, you can, you can, I mean, I mean, we, we, we have, uh, elected officials now who are bartenders who were bartenders. Uh, elected officials who who've had job after job have never really had a job where where they had to accomplish anything. They know they've never accomplished anything. So now they become policymakers, and then they create public policy that prevents the pursuit of happiness for most people, punishes those that are pursuing happiness, and it, it tries to distribute the wealth of people to other people. These are the policies that come out, and so these people are the types of people who pass. Who pass laws to to legalize okay uh, safe injection sites and to to do to to basically outlaw menthol cigarettes or to to legalize uh, public loitering okay and and to, to legalize uh, shoplifting under nine hundred dollars okay or to 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 legalize other you know, to 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 get rid of cash bails things like that so they pass these public policies to put criminals back out there on the street. 
And what they're doing is they're punishing, they're punishing the middle class. And this is where we're at. The people that come up with these public policies are people that quite frankly um, are, are, are looking to, they have never made success in public, they've never made success in the workplace. And now they're in charge of public policy to making rules and regulations, establishing rules and regulations to govern those that have achieved anything. It's really interesting. So as Americans, we're electing people to public policy positions who've never achieved anything. These people are going to now be passing public policy and creating public policy and regulations to govern those who are the achievers in life. Now, I find that that's an upside-down world, folks. As we start at the show, I started talking about the upside-down world. The upside-down world is when we as Americans begin to elect people not on the basis of their achievements, not on their basis of their accomplishments, not on the basis of their initiative, not on the basis of their character or their depth of character, but on the on their basis of nothing. I mean, honestly, they've achieved nothing. And and they buy into the the threats, they buy into the uh you know, the uh the the the, 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 the lies, if you will, the distortions, the the you know, the the they just buy into it all and 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 they basically elect these people on, on fake and empty promises. <laughs> so we see a lot of this going on right now in society. This is the world we live in today. And so we have people like Joe O'Biden, who's, who's never really held a job. He's never really held a job. This is a guy that went into Washington, okay? He was, you know, he, he didn't really have a lot of money, and now he's a millionaire. And we wonder, how did that happen? How does a guy go into public life and then 50 years, 60 years in public life, he goes into public life, and 60 years later, he comes out a millionaire. How does anybody go into public service coming out a millionaire? I understand how people go into business and come out becoming millionaires, but I don't understand how people go into public service and come out being That's the part I don't get. And so, unless, of course, there's something more to it. But I wanted to, wanted to bring that up a little bit, and and, and I, I just want to put it in the perspective that we as... Well, I mean, we as, as citizens of this country, uh, we, we have a right to understand. But I think what it comes back to is, like, we elect people. We just need to understand where, where we have to elect people that have capability. And when we don't, we end up we end up with a government like they have in, in, in a, the island of Oahu who can't put out a fire in 10 days. Who literally, on an island, have a fire burning 2,200 acres and they can't turn they can't figure out how to turn the water on to put the fire out. Okay. This is what we call a mediocrity. This is a this is what city government, county government, state government looks like when you've got a bunch of people who've never achieved anything being given jobs of governance, okay? And of course these people in these jobs, once the crisis hits, don't they don't know what to do. They respond with their same mediocrity and the same level of incompetence that they do when they're you know, and they're they're doing you know mediocre work in the workplace. The same mediocre performance that got them fired from the last eight jobs they've had in, in ten years. Okay, this is now they're in charge of public policy and they're in charge of governance. And you know, when you look at the twenty two hundred acres that burned on the on the island of Oahu, you can understand, folks, that there were twenty two hundred acres that burned in Chicago in eighteen seventy one. The difference is. The city government in Chicago in 1871, they had achievers and accomplishers that ran the city government at the time, and they were able to take those those horse-drawn carriage fire trucks 
with those squirt gun type uh, fire hoses and put out 2,200 acre fire on, on 17,000 buildings in 24 hours. They put that fire extinguished in 24 hours. And you get the same 2,200 acres burning in the island of Oahu in Maui. And the city government, the state government can't figure out how to put the fire out in 10 days. So we can understand that this is what happens. Or, or it happens when you add a, a pandemic, okay? And, and then you have a bunch of incompetent people who come in and they, they look at the COVID virus. And they realize, oh my goodness, this is something we don't have a cure for. And this bacterial, this is bacterial warfare. They knew what it was. That's what they panicked. That's why they had the lockdowns and the shutdowns because they knew that this was something that came out of China and they knew it was a biological attack of sorts. But what they didn't realize is that by the time it got here, it was going to be not as deadly as it was in China. What they didn't realize was that these masks weren't going to protect people and they certainly were. They were they were trying to fast track these vaccinations that that were going to be going in the arms of people and they were swearing that these vaccinations and these T cells would remain local in the arm at the injection in the at the injection site, and they failed to understand that these T cells would go through the entire body and be found in organs, from the brain, the liver, the heart, the spleen, all these all these organs throughout the body were going to have these T cells. These T cells were going to take up home, if you will, throughout the body and other places. So these are things that they didn't foresee. And to make it even worse, these same people in, in, in now <clears throat> national government, okay, they're running the CDC. These same people are, you know, <clears throat> making determinations that that the uh, <clears throat> that the vaccination that they came out with this past September, which was for a virus strain that no longer existed, okay, by the time the vaccination came out. But they knew that this vaccination strain was similar to the other vaccinations that they had, and it would be ineffective. And uh, they also know the, the 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 potential harm that the vaccination can do. Yet that doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to these people. They're going to continue to to push these vaccinations out on people because there's something in it for them. And so. I mean, you were, we're talking about people that are developing blood clots and brain tumors and cancer and, and all kinds of other heart problems, respiratory problems, all these other issues that are coming up because the vaccinations that they're getting are creating T-cells within the body, and these T-cells um, are causing issues within the body's immune system, and it's just causing all kinds of havoc within the body. So, you know, these vaccinations... You know, and I give the CDC, the former CDC director, uh, Walensky, I give her credit for her resignation because I think she realized that, you know, that the government was going to continue to insert itself between patients and their doctors and force people to recommend this vaccination that they knew was ineffective. And I think she, with a clean conscience, couldn't do that. I don't think she could bring herself to do it. But nonetheless, I mean, it's really, uh, it's really an amazing thing. And I think, uh, you know, it's, it's something that we have to look at. Why are they doing this? You know, why are they doing this? Well, let's take a look at a Democrat primary in Connecticut. I think what's inter interesting is the Connecticut judge threw out the results of a primary, a Democrat, a Democrat primary after video, after video emerged, appearing to show multiple individuals stuffing multiple absentee ballots into a drop box. And I would say, you're kidding me. 
I am shocked to think that Democrats would stuff ballots in a drop box. But then again, here in Berks County, Pennsylvania, the Democrats want to install more drop boxes. They want more drop boxes with less surveillance on the box. In other words, they don't want boxes secured from tampering and secured from stuffing. Okay, they want ballot, they want more drop boxes out there. Either they want more people to be able to come by and stuff ballots into a drop box. So in Bridgeport, Connecticut, okay, uh, they were, uh, you know, uh, voters were, were set to go to the polls despite Superior Court Judge William Clark throwing out the results of the September 12th primary. The volume of ballots was so badly mishandled uh, it, it, with, with the, the volume of ballots, so, of ballots so mishandled as such that it calls the result of the primary election into serious doubt and leaves the court unable to determine the legitimate result of the primary. So the, so the video comes out and basically uh, leaks by it's leaked by a whistleblower in city government depicting what appears to be people coming by depositing multiple ballots in the drop box. And one individual is alleged to be a supporter of Democrat Mayor Joe, Joe uh, Gannum, who defeated challenger John Gomes by just 251 votes. So this guy, the Democrat, wins by 251 votes, and they saw all the ballots getting stuffed in there. They had it on video camera. Only only a voter or voters designee uh, can drop a ballot in an absentee ballot collection box in Connecticut. So the uh, the uh, the um, the Republican, okay, the Republican Gomes sued to have the results overturned, and the uh, Clark, who called the level of apparent fraud shocking, has no authority to halt next week's general election, which is still set for Tuesday. But if if the uh, Democrat wins, another Democrat primary will take place according to the court's order. So basically what's going to happen is if the Democrat wins the general election, they're going to have another primary. OK, because that's what they called for. Now, what's interesting is that the uh, the Republican, the Republican is running in the general election as an independent. So this this the. Uh, Anyway, so I just think it was interesting. So, but the the judge, okay, was was nominated by 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 Democrat Governor Ned Lamont in 2021. Okay, but even a blind squirrel can find it out. It looks like this Democrat judge was shocked at the at the cheating. What's interesting is that I think what's what's more shocking to me is that the Democrats are shocked when they see cheated. I mean, as judge, I, I'm amazed that you have any judge out there who has ballot drop boxes that are in place throughout whatever states they may, may be in, I'm amazed that these people would be shocked at voter fraud. I'm amazed that they would be shocked at stuffing ballots in drop boxes. I'm amazed that that takes them by surprise. It doesn't take me by surprise. Okay, we know in Delaware County, they uh, they had a roving, a roving band, if you will, of, uh, whatever a voting bus where they were harvesting ballots of sorts, but I, I mean, we know they were curing ballots in 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 Montgomery County. Okay, they were curing ballots instead of following the law and saying we're not counting the ballots that don't meet the requirements of signature requirements and whatnot. I mean, in the processing requirements, they were counting the ballots 
because they were curing them. They were making them, they were just saying, we're going to count it anyway. I'm just amazed at it. And again, we shouldn't be surprised that there are all kinds of concerns with the last presidential election because they told us, okay, that fraud would occur. And in trying to clear fraud in the Connecticut case to claims of fraud in the 2020, basically in the 2020 presidential COVID-19 pandemic, utilized mail and absentee ballots to an unprecedented degree. I mean, this is what people understand, that the cheating occurs. Cheating does occur because these people, they want, they they basically do anything to get elected. And to me, I find that pretty, pretty compelling. I just find that compelling. But again, you know, surprise, I mean, Democrats cheating in election. I think that's, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's very, very uh, telling. I mean, there's, I mean, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all that the uh, Democrats were cheating in election in Connecticut. So. Now, I want to talk a little bit about Donald Trump here. Donald Trump is is boasting a 48-point lead in primary, Republican primary race. And I think what's amazing to this is a 48-point lead. Okay, why is it the Republicans are supporting Trump? Why are they behind Trump so hard? What is that? I mean, why do you think, and Americans wonder, why are we, why, why, are, the, why are Republicans behind him? I've heard it recommended that um, again, sixty-one percent of the potential Republican primary voters support they they support Trump. I mean, sixty-one percent. Okay, now just so we're clear, nobody, nobody, nobody comes up ahead in thirteen points in second place. Why is that? And I think it has a lot to do with the fact that Republicans know cheating took place, and I think Republicans know that um, not only did, did the cheating take place, but they also know that. Uh, you know, that Trump won, okay? They know that Trump likely won the election. So I just think that's a very compelling and telling point here. And as Americans, we just have to wonder, okay? But I mean, when you're looking at the primary, this is why, I mean, I, I guess what I understand, the Florida Republican Party decided to uh, decided to tell, uh, tell Ron DeSantis to get out of the race. I mean, the Republican Party in Florida made a comment to ask DeSantis to step out of the race because he's so far behind. You know, look, just so we're clear, the Republican, the first Republican primary is going to take place in February. Okay, we're about 10 weeks away from it. Eh, maybe not 10, maybe uh, maybe 11 weeks, 12 weeks. So 12 weeks from now, we're going to be looking at the first primary. Okay, and I just think it's interesting, I mean, that people are dropping out. I mean, Trump is likely to come out of that race with 73% of the vote. And all the other candidates might end up with 27%. I mean, there's no way in the world these Republicans are going to beat him. But, you know, they just don't like Trump. They don't like the fact that, you know, that Trump that owns the party in that respect. They just don't like it. But anyway, a 48-point lead is pretty, pretty compelling. It's pretty compelling. And uh, I just think that's that, that's something there. Um, I wanted to ask, uh, wanted to chat a little bit with... Uh, about the uh, what's going on right now and uh, and what's going on in this war over here in the Middle East. That there's one real. This is one unbelievably uh, one sick war. I mean, I, I would tell you this is unbelievable. There's something surreal again, even sick about this this war in the Middle East. You know, throughout European and American cities and and college campuses, Tens of thousands of Middle Eastern immigrants and students and radical leftists chant nonstop free Palestine from the river to the sea. 
And more recently, they're also yelling, uh, you know, Israel can't hide and we caught you in genocide. And, you know, Hamas and his supporters are openly and eagerly calling for genocidal end of Israel and wiping them out. You know, and, and this is amazing to me, okay? They're, that they, um, it's, it's, they're using megaphones abroad. I mean, also to blast Israeli uh, daily for, for, for retaliating for this, for the butchery that occurred on 1,400 infants and children and women and the elderly, okay, the butchery that took place. They further demand that Israel must be selective in its airborne targeting of these killers and who burrow beneath hospitals and mosques while using civilians as shields. This is what they do. This is their goal. Let's hide. Let's hide under hospitals, okay? Let's burrow under hospitals so that they can't get at us. This is crazier and crazier. This is an amazing thing to me, you know? I mean, they, they claim it's Israel now committing genocide. I mean, this is an amazing thing. You know, they, they claim it's Israel. And I just think it's, you know, they're, these people are openly and eagerly calling for this genocidal end of Israel while wiping out, you know, pushing it into the Mediterranean Sea. And now, now at the same time, they're claiming Israel's committing genocide. I just think that's upside down and sick. You know, the, the world further knows that if Israel ever employed such a barbaric tactic, uh, Israeli citizen shields would would attract and not deter these rockets. I think what's really compelling is that, you know, we, it's just an upside down world we live in. And I just think it's an amazing thing. It's an upside down world we live in. And I just think that's really compelling. I mean, uh, Netanyahu made a comment that, uh, you know, that he wants to free all the hostages and unconditionally surrender. And then that would create the ceasefire. So he's telling these people, you know, Free the hostages. Free the hostages. Free the hostages and unconditionally surrender or we'll stop everything. And I just think that's important. I mean, you got people in the House right now. You you got House members in, in Washington flying the Palestinian flag outside of their offices. And of course, we can guess what party they're in. Okay, we know they're in the Democrat Party. So, you know, this is what's going on. But, you know, these are the, these, these are signs of the end times. Israel is is God's clock. You know, if you want to know when what's what's happening and when when is Jesus returning again, when is his set when is his second coming, we can know by looking at Israel. Okay. And uh because it's all Israel's is is God's clock in all of this. So uh, you know, as a Christian we look we look with anticipation as to what might occur, but I mean it does it is it is sad to see what's going on and I'm just amazed at it. Um I mean, China right now, they got a, I guess they got a rotating leadership right now in the, uh, rotating leadership right now in the uh, UN. And so uh, Brazil, I guess, stepped down so China could step in and then China goes off and attacks Israel by comparing their anti-Hamas operation to the Uyghur genocide. I just think that's compelling. That's rich. So the Chinese government who's, who's guilty of, 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 uh, imprisoning all these Muslims, okay, in, in the Uyghur camps, you know, are now um, publishing on social media suggesting China's, you know, basically uh, that, that Israel must commit to a ceasefire. I just think it's, you know, they, they, they say that they're treating their their citizens, the Uyghur Muslims, more humane than Israel's operation against the Hamas. So they're basically saying, look, 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 the way our, our concentration camps aren't even like that. <laughs> I just think that's amazing. So China starts posting on the government propaganda post published on social media, 
It suggested that their genocidal treatment of the Uyghurs is more humane than the way Israel's handling Hamas. I think that's unbelievable that they make that claim. And so the French caption, I guess, uh, you know, came out and said, no comment needed, or as it might might be said in, in, in American vernacular, enough said. The meaning is clearly that China's horrendous systemic, systematic abuse of the of these Uyghur populations brought the Uyghurs peace and prosperity companion. I mean, I'm amazed that they sat there and they would say this. They're imprisoning these people. Now, I remember reading a report what happened to the Uyghurs. I remember reading a report on that as they talked about the poor Uyghurs. So these people would um, were thrown in these concentration camps. So they were, they were told to report to to these jails. And, and it was it was funny. They, the uh, Back when Trump was president, they were interviewing the Chinese foreign minister about these camps. And the guy was saying, well, you know, they're, they're not inhumane. No, no, we, we let them go home on weekends. <laughs> we let them go home on weekends. Well, that's wonderful. They let them go home on weekends. I just think that's amazing. So they're, they're showing their, their nobility and their, 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 their propensity to, to, uh, to uh, you know, for, for peaceful handling and prosperity of the Uyghurs, their commitment for their prosperity by forcing them into these work camps and, may, and allowing them to allowing them to go home on weekends isn't that wonderful of them? You know the communists. This, this same this these are the same communists who had uh, drive through crematories and drive through funerals who would mandate how much mourning a family could mourn, if you will, how much mourning was allowable for a family to mourn over the death of one of their family members due to COVID. They literally had a 10-minute 10 10 minute, uh, limit on, on all morning. They were processing people through crematories so quickly that they literally allowed, that they, they, I mean, uh, uh, wholly in a communist government, would they do that and be able to do that? They allowed these people 10 minutes to mourn, and then they had the number next to them. I mean, that was like, okay, next, next in line, you know. I mean, I'm amazed, again, I'm amazed that that happened. I, I just think it's it's interesting that, you know, they allowed these these people to, uh, you know, that they were allowing these people that the position of nobility in the in the UN, okay, to sit there and make declarations that they they handle their 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 work camps are more humane than what's going on in in, in Gaza. I I don't know. I I'm just amazed at that. I'm amazed at that. Well, you know, you got to talk a little about what's going on, the crime in these cities. And I wanted to talk a bit about, about how they're, and again, we talked a little bit about how the, the Democrats are passing laws to allow crime to, to exist in Mud Rapid. And it's interesting. You talk a little bit about security in these cities and the guns and whatnot. And, and, and of course, the Democrat cities, which have all these gun rules, okay, preventing, you know, preventing people from, uh, um, you know, from owning guns or at least uh, carrying guns, okay, in the cities, uh, they're also extremely not safe. I mean, what's interesting is I I used to have a set or I, I would make comments that if if an if a, if 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 a Democrat was forced to ride the subway in Philadelphia, they would be more stringent and strict on criminals. They would they would put criminals behind bars. They wouldn't want these people roaming the streets. You know, it's it's funny. I mean the. You know, when, when they're, they're sending these people to, uh, I mean, when you go in the cities right now, you see the increase of crime. I mean, murder rates have increased. You look at, you have to realize the number of people that have been murdered 
in these cities, like the, the city of Chicago, the number of people that actually got murdered in the city of Chicago in the last 10 years, it's an amazing amount of people. It, it It's equivalent to more people, that's right, more people than were, were killed in the in both Gulf Wars, Afghanistan and Iraq. I mean, I mean that's an amazing thing. And uh, I'm just amazed at this. I'm amazed at this. I'm amazed that in these Democrat cities, again, that they're, that crime right now is on the rise and that the citizens of these cities um, are still electing the same people that are holding people back. I'm amazed at that. But it is, it is um, as we say, I mean, it's, it's what I think the, um, I think what we're seeing right now is that Democrats right now are losing ground. I mean, the polling that comes out right now is showing the Democrats not just losing ground with inner city votes, but they're losing ground with suburban votes, everything else. Oh, Biden right now is taking a look at, uh, is basically right now what Biden is doing is he's declaring that, um, you know, maybe the Trump policies are where he wants to go because he understands Trump has the pulse of the middle class. And, um, I mean, I just think it's an amazing thing. I mean, the Democrats, right, and they understand, and they're, they're all terrified. They're, they're nervous about Trump winning. They really, really are. You know, and they try. I saw a Democrat commercial talking about how they want to eliminate um, the Republicans. Want to eliminate democracy, and I just think that's a that's really rich coming from a bunch of communists. And that's some. But I mean, anyway. So DeSantis is out there. I guess DeSantis was on Newsmax. He made some comments that if Trump can summon the the balls to debate, if he can summon, if he can summon the the nerve to come on a debate, okay, that he'll wear a boot on his head. So I guess what's interesting is Ron DeSantis is getting flustered because Trump isn't debating. He's not debating. And so, I mean, I, you know, he's saying, well, if he, if he can, if he can summon the nerve to come up and show up for a debate, you know, then he can do this. But, you know, I mean, this is Ron DeSantis now, now what's interesting is he was being interviewed by Eric Bowling, and, uh, and Eric Bowling makes a comment that there's these gotcha people, these people who just want to sit there and they'll, and they want to talk about how tall you are or whether you're wearing boots or with, with what and what, what you call it or whatever, and heel extenders inside or whatever. So he goes on to say, Governor, the, the southern border is a disaster for terrorists. They're coming across the border. we got two wars that are funny, and we're trying to fund. He says, they want to talk about how tall you are. Please respond. And DeSantis said, there, this is no time for foot. <laughs> but he goes on to say, and what's really interesting on this is that DeSantis is getting flustered because because Trump isn't coming out there, and I, and he knows it. And they're they're just getting they're getting they're they're getting desperate. And he says, you know, he knows that Donald Trump and a lot of Trump people have been focusing on things like you know about that that about DeSantis that don't mean anything. But he says, I'll tell you this: if Trump could get the nerve to show up for a debate, I'll wear a boot on my head. He said, this time, this is the time for substance. This is the time for all of us to debate issues. He wants to debate Trump so bad he can't stand it. The problem is Trump doesn't need to debate him. Trump knows the issues. And I think DeSantis realizes now he's got he's got nothing but trouble. He's in nothing but trouble. So it looks like Disney uh, is going to be putting out another flop with the Marvels. It looks like Marvels has cost $275 million to produce, and they're anticipating it's going to earn a whopping $200 million maybe 160 million. So they anticipated losing between between 75 to 105, $110 million. Now, 
let me let me tell you folks when you're putting together a movie and you're putting together a uh, whatever a, a production that's going to be bringing people out to view it you want to put to put together a production that's going to sell tickets so when you're spending 275 million dollars when your investors are out there and your stockholders are out there saying put these movies together and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna help fund this with with increasing stock value and whatnot uh let's uh let's fund this movie let's let's make this investment happen so they do this investment, it costs them $275 million and it brings in $165 million. It loses $110 million. And these investors are saying, wait a minute, this was a bad deal. How did this happen? How did how did this work? Why is it we can't sell tickets? Nobody's attending these Disney movies. I just think it's it's just an amazing thing. I mean, nobody, nobody's watching these movies. So they put another another horrible movie out there called The Marvels. Nobody wants to see these movies. Nobody wants, nobody cares anything about them. Okay. But anyway, I, I wanted to talk a little bit about what's going on right now in, in Kentucky. Okay. We have a guy who's running for, for governor named Daniel Cameron. He's a Republican and, uh, he's running for governor in Kentucky and he's the attorney general. Okay. And he's surging 14 points in the home stretch of Kentucky's gubernatorial race with, with the Democrat be sure. And they're now locked in a dead heat. And again, the, the poll that came out yesterday showed Cameron, who has former Donald Trump's endorsement tied with Bashar at 47% apiece among the thousand likely voters in Kentucky. And each candidate drew the support of 469 respondents. 2% support someone else and 4% are undecided who they'll vote for. But what happens in these races is the, 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 the undecideds usually break. They usually break for the least known candidate. They'll break. For the least known so if you got four percent undecided it could very well be that this guy cameron gets about what 51 to 52 percent of the vote and wins okay and again he's the attorney general um i i i'm happy i mean i'm really excited that this guy is looking like he might beat the democrat i mean i think that's really telling and what's really compelling on this is that th th these are the better candidates to come out okay but among the undecided, 62% lean toward this guy, Cameron. And uh, like I said, uh, in, you know, two, almost two-thirds lean towards him on the undecided. So the undecided usually usually break for the, the least known candidates. So when you're, you know, when you include the undecided, Cameron takes the lead with 49, okay, to the Democrat governor. So it's interesting. And again, I think this guy, Cameron's going to be jumping. And again, that this is going to be good coming out of Election Day, okay? So... It looks like the Republicans are going to win in, in Kentucky. And I, I know when Brashar had won four years ago, it was really, I was very surprised that he won in 2020, okay? Uh, but I should say in 2019, but it, I don't think it's likely he's going to win this time. I mean, it's not normal that the Democrat wins in Kentucky. Kentucky's a very Republican state. But the guy, the Republicans jumped a staggering 14 points since the first days of October. Now, that's pretty impressive because remember the early voting comes in. But it's interesting because, in, I mean, uh, it's noting in the polls that the Republican appears to have gained ground by consolidating Republican voters who supported Trump in the 2020 election. 54% of Trump supporters support Cameron um, now as Election Day approaches, and that number has jumped to 79%. So in early October, it was 54% of Trump supporters. Now it's almost 80%. And uh, October's poll was a registered vote. It was of registered voters in Kentucky, while this final 
election poll we're talking about, it just talks about the likely voters, which generally is what you see anyway. But in 2020, 60% of the polls respondents voted for Trump over Joe Biden, who received 35 and a half points. Okay. But in 2019, 45% supported the Democrat in the governor's race and 44% uh, voted for the Republican. So it was a narrow win for the Democrat. Okay. But the race between Biden, the Biden cheerleader, Bashar, and Trump back to Attorney General Cameron continues to tighten. And what's happening is I think what's, what's hurting the Democrat right now, I believe what's hurting the Democrat, is Biden's Biden's coattails. I think Biden's coattails is going to hurt this Democrat. Now, it is a Republican state, but a governor, well, let me just tell you, folks, I mean, the fact that the Republican could upset him um, and obviously the Democrats got the machine behind him and the money, but I mean, it does tell you that the Biden coattails are, are hurting him a little bit. I mean, this clear momentum building for, for the Republican as voters lean more about, learn more about the, about, uh, about Bracer's continued support for Biden, this Biden's coattails that are hurting the, the, uh, the governor's chances. I think that's, what's interesting. And, you know, because Kentucky is not a Republican, it is a Republican state. I just think that's compelling. It it doesn't it doesn't help them much. And a very unpopular president's gonna help these it's gonna hurt these guys in these votes. I'm just kinda happy to hear that Daniel Cameron is, is looking like he's gonna pull it out. I listened to this guy. He actually spoke at the Republican um convention in twenty twenty. Um I like him. I mean he's a good guy. He spoke at the convention. I think he's a good guy. I I mean if I lived in Kentucky I'd vote for. I'd vote for the guy. I just thought it was interesting that He's now leading in the polls, and uh, and I just think that's that's interesting. Um, what you're seeing now too is I think you're seeing uh, I think you're seeing a lot of concerns within the Democrat Party about people in Philadelphia and some of these bigger cities and how they're they're worrying about the support that Biden usually has, the Democrats usually have with these the city votes, and. Uh, it's really, really telling because a lot of these discussions are coming out on CNN's fake the news on CNN and, you know, and CNN's, uh, you know, fake political commentating and so forth. But they're out there talking about what's happening right now. And they're, they're talking about the, the level of enthusiasm, as in the, the level of enthusiasm among voters, um, you know, among voters in the, um, you know, in the, in the live in the cities, okay? And they're starting, and, and they're basically going on to talk about how it's starting to feel like the economy isn't that good, and their issues they don't get taken seriously. So these city people are thinking, okay, I'm going to vote for Trump. And I think what you're seeing is he gets he gets take, take some of these votes. Trump got about 14 percent of the vote in Philadelphia County, okay, and, and he almost won the state. Well, he did win the state, I believe. But according to the cheating that went on after all the ballots were counted, and, and you know, and all the all the harvesting that went on in these ballots and these drop boxes and whatnot, they were able to muster 80,000 more votes on the, on the Democrat side, Pennsylvania. But I think what's interesting is that if Trump was able to pull out 25 to 30% in the cities, I think that that, that surely, surely tells him who's going to win these elections. And this is what these Democrat pollsters are concerned about. You see, they're concerned that if Trump is able to pull off 25 or 35 percent in these cities that that's a shoe win for him in winning these elections that's what they know to be okay so they're they understand the strength of their support is winning these cities with with 
you know, 85, 90% of the vote. They also understand that if Trump is able to get 25 to 35% of these votes in these cities, that that lock in the cities is gone and that changes everything. Changes everything. Because like out in Berks County where, where, where I live, I mean, this is, this is Republican country out here. And, and, you know, you, you, you're going to win elections. Trump's going to win Berks County handily. I mean, he'll, he'll get well over 140,000 votes in Berks County to compare to what I think O'Biden might get, which is 80 or 90. I mean, he'll beat Biden by 50 or 60,000 votes in this county. So he's, you know, Philadelphia County is a county where there's, you know, uh, you know, whatever, you know, set, you know 700,000 votes or 900,000 votes in the county. And if just, just say for grins and giggles, it's 900,000 votes in Philadelphia County. If Trump is able to get 35% of those votes, then, then he's looking at, you know, you know, like, I, I don't know, the, the 350,000 or so, or, you know, maybe 300,000 of those votes. So, I mean, if, if he gets 300,000 votes in Philadelphia County compared to 600,000 for Biden, that means Biden comes out of Philadelphia County with just up 300,000 votes. And literally, I mean, he loses a lot of ground outside the county. I mean, you know, Bucks County being one county, but also Berks County, the Lehigh Valley, you know, the Wyoming Valley, all these other areas and throughout the middle of the state. I mean, he wins those. He wins those. He picks that boat up really, really fast. Lancaster County. I mean, he wins Berks County by 50,000. He wins Lancaster County by 120,000. You know, you're looking at 170,000. That cuts into that 300,000 vote lead very quickly. You know, and if he if he if he's thirty five percent of Philadelphia County, you know he's going to be, you know, closer to fifty percent Montgomery County. Certainly forty five percent Montgomery County, forty five percent Delaware County. So if 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 O'Biden wins Delaware County by by ten percent, Montgomery County by ten percent, you're looking at maybe, why well, you know you might be looking at another hundred thousand votes total between the two counties, hundred twenty. So now he comes out of he comes out of Philadelphia with three hundred thousand. He comes out of the other Democrat areas of Delaware County and Montgomery County, and yeah, maybe even Chester County with one hundred fifty two hundred thousand more votes. So quite literally, he's he's you know he his stronghold he he's he's up maybe by three four hundred thousand, maybe four to fifty thousand votes. Then he goes into Bucks County and Berks County, the Lehigh Valley, Wyoming Valley, and next thing you know, the three hundred fifty the four four to fifty thousand votes that he's ahead now comes down to. 250,000, okay, or 300, 250, 200,000. Then he goes into those rural areas where Trump wins handily. And then he goes into the west end of the state, actually leading in the polls. I mean, he actually leading by 100,000 or so before he goes to the Allegheny County, Westmoreland County, and Erie County, and, and all these other counties out there. And I think at that point, he wins because he gets more votes out there. He's very popular in Western PA. He ends up winning the state by 150,000 votes. This is what happens. I mean, the Democrats have to win Philadelphia County with 80, 80 plus percent if they to have any chance at all of winning in Pennsylvania. So if they only win the county of Philadelphia by by 70 percent or 65 percent, they're toast. I mean, that they're going to come out of Philadelphia County with 100 to 150,000 fewer votes than they need. And that costs them. Remember, I mean, the close election happens when they're able to get out of 900,000 votes. When they're able to get eight hundred thousand, all of it. That all bets are off when when they only get six hundred thousand. Okay, I mean that's two hundred thousand fewer votes than they need, and so instead of winning a state by fifty or a hundred thousand votes, they lose the state by one hundred fifty to two hundred thousand votes. 
because if Trump's doing well there, he's doing well everywhere else. I can tell you in Reading right now, Republicans are, are pretty strong in Reading. I think they're pretty strong. Um, in, in this upcoming election cycle on, on Tuesday, we're going to see Republicans do pretty well, I think, in mayor. I think our Republican candidate and mayor in Reading probably could turn around and get maybe 35% of the vote. Now, that may not sound like a lot, but, you know, there's several people running in that mayor already. So, okay, there's, se- there's several write-in efforts. And if these write-in efforts are able to generate 25 or 30%, even 25%, that changes all bets because that means... You know, if 35% go to the Republican, then 25% end up going to uh, other candidates. It's going to make it really close. Okay, it's going to make it really close. So I, I'm, I'm not convinced that, I mean, the city, you're going to see it. I mean, if Reading only votes 50, 55% Democrat, even though, though the mayor race may go Democrat, there's only 8,000 Republicans in the whole city of Reading. The city of Reading is a Democrat city. It's like 90% D. It's 90% Democrat. 85, 90%. So, and Philadelphia is the same way. So, if the, once the Republicans, and once you start seeing Trump gain momentum in these inner cities, I think once that begins to happen, these Democrats, like these fake pundits on CNN, they all panic because they understand there's no world, there's no word big enough for the amount of concern because people... As he put, as some of these commentators, because as some of these commentators put it, people, it, you know, it, it, they feel pain, okay, and they, and, and, you know, I'm just telling you, he, he, he a lot of these pundits are scared to death. They're just nervous as, as cats on a hot tin roof. There are some people who, who, who don't like Trump, but will be enough, but it, it'll be enough to, to vote for him because they they don't want to get they don't want Biden in it. they they feel too much pain with the high prices, you know they're 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 begging on a dislike for Trump to be enough to get them to vote for Biden, but they they understand that there's other people who feel like you know what what do we have to do to to get to get help here? We stand in these long lines for hours and hours and hours, and we're getting you know we're you know we're 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 not getting what we want in the city politics. We have to fight so hard just to vote, and then the neighborhood's not any better than the alternative that than than, than what they what they've been living through. That they see high crime rates, they see the fact that they're running for their lives every day in the subways, and you know, it's just that they 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 don't they're being left behind. And Trump is the one that's calling them out. I I can tell you right now, these 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 city voters, and this is what they understand, and the Democrats are concerned about it. They understand that there's. They understand that there's going to be um, a coming a, a day of reckoning in these cities, and I think it's it's just really interesting because they know they know they're gonna they're gonna fall victim here. Well, it's interesting. I want to talk a little bit about the the job market. I want to sum this up with the job market a little bit. So the economy added 150,000 jobs in October, which means it only lost 200,000 200, jobs. So when you when they say the economy added 150,000 jobs in October. We know the economy loses 350,000 every month. So 150 minus 350 means there were 200,000 fewer people in the workforce in October. So they like to say unemployment's rising to 3.9. It's not unemployment rising, folks. It's the employed workplace that is declining. We see a decline in the workplace. Don't miss that. We see fewer workers in the workplace. Okay, so... Anytime you see uh, economic numbers that come out and say, we've added jobs, we've added jobs. 
unless it tops 300 plus thousand, they didn't add any jobs. They had a reduction in, in the work, in the, in the workplace. They had a reduction in the workforce. And that's the facts that you can bank on in Denver folks. And you know, these are the things that I've been talking about for a long, long time, because this is what we've been watching. This is what we were watching. Okay. Been watching these people and, uh, you know, I, I just think it's amazing. I mean, we're watching these people try to peddle these these horrible work, these economic numbers, trying to say, oh, unemployment's declining. Well, it's, folks, it's the workforce that we're talking about. The level of workforce and the number of workers today in, in the U.S. that are working is declining. And as a result of that, the underground economy is increasing. As a result of that, we have less and less people in government that uh, that are, well, we have, I should say, less and less funding for the government. We have we have a p- potential economic collapse right now with the Treasury bonds, the ten-year Treasury bonds sitting at five percent, and the and and the, and the underground economy increasing. We need a leader like Trump, okay, not just to bring peace to the world by uh, by exercising leadership, okay, uh, on the global stage, but also at home here. To grow the economy once again with an America first policy and an America first agenda. Again, America first workforce, America first economy, America first military, America first education system, and America first media system, media outlets, Lord. America first everything is going to make this country the best place on planet Earth to pursue your happiness, to preserve the pursuit of our happiness. It's going to create in this country the environment we need to effectively and efficiently pursue our happiness. Folks, we're going to have to leave it there. Thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in today and being with us on this beautiful Global Warming Saturday. Tune in later on today for our show, The Watchman. we got a great show lined up. Folks, we'll see you next week on The Point. I'm Clay Brees. Goodbye for now.